politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in our lives. It is Lexington and Concord all over again. Here at CR Podcast, your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, brand new week, second half of the month, May 15th. And we got so many inflection points, so many opportunities. We are at a crossroads, whether it's the border invasion, whether it's the debt ceiling, whether it's the tranny cultural stuff, whether it's medical freedom, you name it. We are at a precipice where we can actually take everything that's going on, harness it, and accomplish more than we've accomplished for decades, or we can continue grifting and focusing on nonsense while the left runs up that scoreboard on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. So yeah, we'll be focusing a lot this week on the border invasion and the debt ceiling, what it means, what we can do with it. But today I want to go back to an old issue that is not in in the news. It's out of the news, but it should still be in the news. And that's the COVID genocide. Yesterday was Mother's Day, beautiful day. I hope all of you had a great weekend where we still actually celebrate motherhood and family at a time where people don't believe in women being mothers. But I had to go to a funeral. And it got me thinking. There's a lot of talk about young people dying suddenly, healthy people dying suddenly. But you had a plethora of people in this country that were, you know, kind of sick, had a chronic illness, but most of them have or had a number of years left on the clock. I'm talking about people in their 50s and 60s, not that old, who, you know, have diabetes, heart disease, chronic illness. And, you know, you take a percentage of them and they will die pretty suddenly early. But most of them will live. Maybe they won't live till their 90s, but they'll live. And this guy had to spend, you know, who I'm thinking about, he, he died in his 60s. He had heart disease and diabetes spent the final few years of his life in isolation, like everyone else terrorized from this virus, and constantly pumped up with more mRNA. And then he died suddenly. Now, he was in bad shape, like anyone else. It could be he would have died then. But it was pretty sudden, and it looked like he was getting a little better. And that's it. Now, I can't again, I can't point to the shots particularly killing this individual. But what there's no doubt about is that those people who are the most vulnerable were the most locked down and the most jabbed, and both of those are proven to be killers. So you can't prove each person at an individual level, but definitely definitely in the macro level, this is why we are seeing an acceleration of excess deaths, not just younger, healthier people, but yes, sicker people that maybe would have died within the next 10 years, but they were certainly accelerated. And here we are, as we say never again, it's happening again. So today I want to go through each element of the COVID genocide, how before we can even pledge for it never to happen again, it's still happening and is continuing and we're on to the next iteration. This issue needs to have a reckoning. But first, on a happier note, 
Today is a is a uh, very happy birthday for our sponsor. May fifteenth is the birthday of my oldest son, turning thirteen, but it's also the birthday of QP Quinn Pittman, as in QPGoatSoap.com. Quinn is our 15-year-old entrepreneur, now turning 16. He's able to get his driver's license. But before he was even driving, he had his own business of goat soap that is healthy. They put so much pride in their product in the Pittman family. Um, What's amazing is made of raw milk, whole oils, citrus, all this stuff. This is what a 16-year-old boy does today. And I think this is something we should all celebrate today, Quinn Pittman's birthday, at a time when we have Gen Z that's nothing but an AI bot zombie generation where half of them don't even know what gender they are. This is a Christian homeschooled kid that is already a successful business, and thanks to so much, so many in this audience for supporting uh, QP Goat Soap. Uh, we had a promo code Daniel, but for the rest of the month, those of you who want to get a year's supply or just even a month's supply of the healthiest soap on the market, the promo code is now SWEET16 in honor of his birthday, 16% off until the end of May. That's SWEET16 spelled out as a number, not a not a letter, 16, SWEET16, at qpgoatsoap.com. Again, for 16% off. So happy birthday, Quinn. Many, many more healthy and happy birthdays. We're looking forward to you there uh, in Florida. So, folks, let's start off with the first part of it. So so what, what happened? Government purposely created a virus, unleashed it upon us, gave hospitals billions of dollars to kill people, blocked treatment that would save people, locked people down, masked their image of God's face destroyed kids forever and then unleashed the clot shot jihad on us which we are still dealing with the long term effects each one of those elements not only have we not reformed the legal authorities and the policies the medicine behind that but we're already on to the next iteration. So let's start off with the creation of the virus itself. Let, let, let's not forget, I, I just want to make clear, like, I disagree with some of my colleagues are saying, oh, we did this all for a cold. No, I think COVID was serious. In the scheme of things, it was serious for a lot of people, not everyone. It became even more serious after the vaccine made it worse. But that's not a way of agreeing to their premise. Oh, Daniel, lockdowns were justified? This was just... No. You created it. The same people who created the lockdowns created the virus. So this is unbelievable. From science.org, three years after then-President Donald Trump pressured the NIH to suspend a research grant to a U.S. group studying bat coronaviruses with partners in China... The agency has restarted the award. You can't make this up. It's a four-year grant to Eco Health Alliance, the nonprofit research company that makes a lot of profit, based in New York, that everyone knows created the virus. It's five hundred seventy-six thousand per year. The 2014 award included funding for controversial experiments that mix parts of different bat viruses related to SARS. 
and included a subboard to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The new award omits those studies and also imposes extensive new accounting rules of EcoHealth. But EcoHealth's embattled director, Peter Daszak, says his group is pleased. Now we have the ability to finally get back to work. Grant number R01AI110964. So much is the emphasis on vaccine research, and so little is the opposition against it, that they, in broad daylight, could go and give a new grant to the company behind the creation of what killed hundreds of thousands of people in this country, millions around the world, and they can do it through the front door knowing they won't suffer one iota for it. Because they know that the Republican Party, and Donald Trump too, they are bought out by the vaccine research industry, and nobody will call them on it. This is unbelievable. Like, at least you'd think they'd funnel it through a different company or something, be a little bit more discreet this time. But no, they don't even feel a need to be discreet about it. So they're continuing the gain of function right in front of our eyes with the very company that created it. Let's move on to the next thing. The hospitals. Okay, the funding for the hospitals and the death protocols. A big important study, some of you might have seen this, came out basically studying why in the world did more people in the U.S. die than anywhere else? Or not not anywhere else, but, but most other Western countries. So this is a new analysis from Northwestern University. Um, Benjamin Singer was one of the authors, a pulmonologist at Northwestern. A new analysis suggests that a higher percentage of people who were who uh, required help from a ventilator due to a COVID-19 infection also developed secondary bacterial pneumonia. So while COVID-19 may have put these patients in the hospital, it was actually an infection brought on by the use of the mechanical ventilator that was more likely to be the cause of death when the infection didn't respond to treatment. Our study highlights the importance of preventing, looking for, and aggressively treating secondary bacterial pneumonia in critically ill patients with severe pneumonia, including those with COVID-19. Team looked at records from 585 people admitted to the ICU at Northwestern. They all had severe pneumonia or developed respiratory failure, and 190 had COVID. The findings refute the idea that a cytokine storm following COVID-19 and overwhelming inflammation response causing organ failure was responsible for a significant number of deaths. There was no evidence of multi-organ failure in the patients studied. Instead, COVID-19 patients were more likely to develop ventilator-associated pneumonia and for longer periods. Cases where VAP, right, VAP, didn't respond to treatment were significant in terms of the overall mortality rates. Those who were cured of their secondary pneumonia were likely to live, while those whose pneumonia did not resolve were likely to die. Our data suggested that the mortality related to the virus itself is relatively low. I mean, this is Northwestern. But other things 
that happened during the ICU stay, like secondary bacterial pneumonia, offset that. Unreal. I want I want to delve into this a little bit more, but our sponsor today is Barrel Buddy. Um, I'm gonna allow tonight my oldest son to clean his first gun with Barrel Buddy. What is Barrel Buddy? It compresses to fill the interior of your gun's barrel. It's a uh, you know cartridge that gives you full 360 degree pressure. It's the cleanest, most efficient way of cleaning your gun. At $15 per, per packet, they have 50 Barrel Buddies in one packet. It is a new concept, better way to take care of your firearms. And uh, I just put a couple hundred rounds yesterday through um, two of my guns. I took my 13 and 11-year-old out. And, uh, you know, that's the way to do it. You start early, but you got to teach them responsibility. Now you got to clean it. Can't just put that back in there. So Barrel Buddy, developed by Eric, Paul, and Jim, three great patriots in Michigan. They've been doing this for 10 years. It is the best way to clean your gun, barrelbuddy.com. Again, starting at just 15 bucks. Sometimes the best way is to clean a gun is to jam a round peg into a round hole, not a, a boar snake or a uh, you know dirty cloth. This is the way to do it. I really am very impressed by it, and now that is my new way of cleaning my guns. Make it your new way. Make sure you clean your guns. Go to barrelbuddy.com st- today, starting at 15 bucks per packet. So, folks, this is a very accurate description of, I think, what we saw, why New York City had more deaths than anywhere else. It was the ventilators. Uh, we continue to use this protocol for until the bitter end. Until the bitter end. This is not some sort of, like, you know, anti-COVID vaccine author with an axe to grind. These are Northwestern University um Researchers and Northwestern killed a lot of people. So, a couple things to unpack here. First, what happened and what to do about it, and how this ties into the fact that we're not fixing it. But as I mentioned, COVID was worse than other viruses, assuming you got a cytokine storm. And that's why you needed early treatment, all the anti inflammatories, all the things we were using, so you wouldn't land in the hospital. So to be clear, the ventilator in Remdesivir doesn't explain how you landed in the hospital. So that was, that's the gain of function. Okay, that is the gain of function. This is meant to screw you up. But the question we all had is, okay, so you shouldn't have gotten crushed by the virus like that. But typically, especially younger people, you'd walk out of that hospital. Why would you die from it? That's what this study explains. That's the thing. They would go to the ventilator and it would spawn secondary infection. And even without the ventilator, you are at risk for that, which is why one of the doctors we had on who's really the cutting edge, she was an infectious disease doctor, part of the Global COVID Summit group, Dr. Lynn Finn. Um, She's one of the doctors I use to call up for my own family. And she was always cutting edge. Like She was one of the first to recognize natokinase as a broad-spectrum anticoagulant to treat this, and now there's a number of studies on that 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 might be the silver bullet. Um, but she, she very early on was a big fan of using antibiotics because of the risk of secondary infection. When I would have Brian Tyson on, he said, look, 
I, I asked him, you know, what's the first thing you did? How did you know to get into this? And he said, the first thing we knew from the Spanish flu is that secondary infection is what often did people in. So you have all these people who are like, oh, I don't know, it's a virus. Oh, a virus, you don't use antibiotics. Well, yeah, but what often does people in is the fact that it spawned secondary infection. COVID itself was very prone to that, and it was aggravated by the liberal use of ventilators. And you see they have the data right there that it was ultimately the secondary bacterial infection, and they called it ventilator-associated pneumonia. And again, once you're on a ventilator, it's much harder to deal with the pneumonia. You have a constant you know, bacterial trap feeding it into the lungs, and then the few things that might have worked then, of course, they wouldn't do. And by the way, this is without studying remdesivir. Because if you remember, remdesivir magnified and exacerbated the problems of the ventilator. Because it would cause the kidneys to fail, you'd have fluid back up into the lungs, and then it would go in that stupid tube, you'd have pulmonary edema, and it was just one big cesspool. Okay. Now what am I driving at? We have not rectified this either. As I noted, the government pumped billions upon billions of dollars into hospitals. But rather than just giving it neutrally to be used for the pandemic, they gave a bonus for specific death protocols for the ventilator and remdesivir protocol. That, to this day, has not been rectified. But here's an article from the Epic Times, nonprofit hospitals made huge profits during pandemic while receiving $23 billion in aid. Federal officials gave more than $23 billion in aid to the nation's top 20 nonprofit hospitals, even as a 62% increase in their collective net assets led to parallel surges in the institution's total profits and revenues during 2018 to 2021. Only two of the 20 institutions have repaid the government for the aid they received. The 20 largest nonprofit hospitals in the country continued making massive profits while their cumulative net assets soared $324 billion in 2021, up from $200 billion in 2018. So that, is, that my friends, is blood money. That is the blood money. And look, Northwestern was on that list. But this is what's wrong with our healthcare system. We don't have a free market. We have the worst of all elements. We have a government with an endless spigot of money giving to hospitals unconditionally. So then you're, you're trapped in it. There's no desire to innovate or get better. And then they don't have to pay taxes because they're non-profit, but they make more profit than any industry imaginable. And that's why you see all those construction cranes at all the big urban hospitals, and they're buying out and chewing out everything else, not just every other hospital. And then, you know, so it's not just, you know, you, you would have one hospital there. Now it's a system, a corporate chain, buys up all the other hospitals, then buys up all the urgent cares, then buys up all the specialties, buys up all the PCP practices. 
and you have a government-induced monopoly, they don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to pay taxes. See, so what government did is, I mean, they do this in many ways. They use Medicare and Medicaid as a tool to tilt the market to, so they'll pay cartel systems more than they'll pay individual doctors. Um, I was I was recently speaking with a cardiac, uh, a pediatric cardiologist, and he said one of the hardest things they do is a fetal echo. So you're you're, you're doing an echo on the heart of a fetus, very very hard. He said I would get 19 bucks out of that. One of the hardest things I'm trained to do, but the hospitals get 2,000. So that's why that sort of payment system incentivizes hospitals to do everything, you know, to buy up all this stuff. It incentivizes doctors to give in and work for hospitals rather than working independently, and that's how you get a cartel. But remember, they're not for profit. One of the healthcare reforms we need is one, one or the other. We need a dual system. You want to pay taxes like everyone else? You have a freer regulatory system, which we all believe in. But if you're going to be non, not for profit, you cannot make profit, okay? You're not for profit. You cannot make profit. You have to go into, you have to have a not for profit model that you're there to help people. Pick one or the other. But also, folks, we are nowhere near rectifying this. So there are so many ways that the government incentivizes bad treatment, monopolies, where there's no patient-centered care, doctors are nothing but stewards for corporations. That's all created by the fake insurance cartel Medicare Medicaid system. There's nothing free market about it. But then you have the pandemic funding. 23 billion to 20 hospital systems that incentivize them to kill people. And again, I am not seeing anywhere where Republicans are trying to take care of this. One of the ideas that I've had, as you well know, is uh, uh, this pandemic and hazard uh, preparedness reauthorization bill that authorizes all these programs. If it's not reauthorized, it goes away. That is the leverage to fix this. And of course, you know, I'm struggling to gain traction on that. So that's what we have with this. Now, there's a couple more elements I want to get to on COVID before we move on to other issues. But first, our final sponsor today is Patriot Mobile. Just like we're trying to break the healthcare cartel, if you want to break the telecoms cartel, which is a real bad one. Well, there's only one option. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks, so you get the best possible service in your area. You don't have to worry about some you know tiny, spotty company, um, but without the woke propaganda pushed by AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you support this free speech, religious freedom, sanctity of life, Second Amendment. They actually donate to legal defense funds uh, pushing for those cause causes, so the other thing you get to do is, you, by the way, you could keep your phone number. Um, keep your phone number like any other time. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their 100% U.S.-based 
Customer service number 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with offer code CR. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. If you don't like it, you could switch back to the cartel. But for now, make the switch pain-free. PatriotMobile.com slash CR or call 878-PATRIOT and give them activation code CR. Okay, so you have the death treatments. You have the gain of function. We haven't rectified that. Then you have the vaccines. By the way, Sonia Elijah, if you, you if you don't remember, two weeks ago she did a show uh, demonstrating that the European Medicines Agency knew about all of the problems in pregnancy, in nursing, in everything. But she found that 98 out of the 100 baby fetal cases that they had AEs, 98% of the 100 babies in their docket of adverse events, 98 of them were serious. I'm looking at the document now. 98 serious, two non-serious. So what, one of the things is that in general, I forgot the numbers, but in general, the European Medicines Agency and just in the general population, they were seeing like 40% of them serious adverse events. That is, a, that is a huge red flag. When you look at pharmacovigilance, it's not just the totality of adverse events, but what percentage of the total AEs are serious AEs? And that was a huge number. But with the babies, oh my gosh. 98 serious. Like congenital anomalies, atrial septal defects, hypoxic ischemic um, cephalopathy, neonatal hypotension, trisomy 21, cleft lip, coma neonatal, um, skin disorders, you name it. Neonatal seizures. I mean, this is really bad. This is really bad. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to keep this in mind as they now push the RSV shot on seniors and then pregnant women. So I'm going to try to go over the different things out there because Moderna, GSK, and Pfizer are making um, shots for RSV for seniors and for pregnant women for the specific pur- purpose of conveying onto the fetus. Because they, you know, unlike seniors, there is a rationale. There's a rationale for a vaccine for infants that are in danger for RSV. They're not effective and safe. With seniors, there's no rationale for that. It's ridiculous. But earlier this month, the FDA approved GSK, GlaxoSmithKline's shot for RSV for those over 60 years old. So we're, we're trying to say never again. And before we could utter, utter the words, they're already doing the human experimentation for the next one. And there is no backstop. There is no backstop. Here's what you need to understand. Trump's warp speed wasn't a one-off. It wasn't an anomaly. That is the new paradigm. They brag about it openly. Warp speed has replaced the Nuremberg Code. Every vaccine is now done like this. 
typically it took 10 years with the RSV shots. It was like 18 months. So later on Thursday, I believe, the FDA is going to hold a hearing on Pfizer's pregnant women shot. They already held it on Pfizer's seniors. And by the way, they're similar formulations. And they approved it 7 to 4. Now the full FDA has to approve it. The full FDA approved GSK. But there's an article in the British Medical Journal that they warn about the Pfizer shot for pregnant women because GSK's shot for pregnant women, remember they approved GSKs for seniors, but the one for pregnant women, they were forced to pause it during the trial for many reasons. There was a woman who died, by the way, young woman in her 30s. But results have raised concerns about a possible increase in preterm births, and experts are calling for further analysis of the data and for post-approval monitoring of the vaccine should the FDA approve it. So basically, again, Pfizer's shots can be very similar to GSK. They're all similar. So if you see a problem in one, you know it's going to be in the other. Last year, GSK was forced to halt their trial after a death occurred. Imagine this. A woman in her her 30s, 22 days after getting the shot, died from acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. Quote, considered by both the study investigator and FDA to potentially be related to the vaccine. Usually they deny it, but in this case, even GSK admitted it's potentially due to the vaccine. Pretty big deal. So again, it's not even experimental. They know it's problematic and they do it anyway. But they also found a 6.8% rate of preterm births in the trial group compared to 4.9% in the placebo group. The rate of neonatal deaths was double in the trial versus the placebo. So that, that's a huge, huge safety signal. And remember, we, we know that the RSV shots in the 60s made kids sicker, which is why we didn't approve them. For And we didn't pursue an RSV shot for many decades. Differences in preterm births are evident in Pfizer's RSV trial, too. So just like GSK, they found it here. In adverse event tables for its Phase 2 study, published last October, Pfizer reported 3 out of 116 premature deaths in the placebo group, but 6, so almost double, double, in the Pfizer RSV trial group. Okay, preterm births. In its pre-specified interim analysis of Pfizer's related phase three trial, published in April, 201 babies were born, so 5.6% were born prematurely to vaccinated mothers compared to 4.7% placebo group. They were studying it as an adverse event of special interest. Yet on Thursday, on Thursday, the FDA... Varbach, whatever they call that committee, advisory committee, is meeting to approve it. We've lived with this virus 
for many years. What is the rationale? What is the rush? Okay, you can't say there's a pandemic. You can't say it's an emergency. You can't say it's a once-in-a-century thing. This is now a new normal. There's no rationale. They're rushing to put this into pregnant, not just anyone, but pregnant women. After they know, historically there's been problems, after Fauci himself has said that RSV shots are not ready for prime time, they don't stop transmission, they don't stop, you know, critical illness either. I mean, on top of this, the FDA already approved GSK's shot for seniors, which they admitted can overstimulate the immune system. They already admit that, admitted that Pfizer's senior shot has major signals for Guillain-Barre. And then within a few months, the FDA is going to approve Moderna's mRNA version of RSV, which, even according to their data, that, that it has efficacy, which is a lie, but if you rely on it, still, it shows 200 adverse events and 10 serious ones per one mild case of RSV avoided. Remember, any doctor, ask your doctor, is RSV a threat to seniors? It's not. M- much less than the flu. It's just not. Everyone, everyone will laugh at you. But here we are. We're still doing this. We are still doing this. And nobody is throwing a red flag on this. While we're still quantifying the long-term damage of their first warp speed, they're already approving the next one without any resistance. Peter McCullough pointed this out. For the COVID shots, a clinical cohort study of 23 patients hospitalized for myocarditis found that only 20% resolved their abnormalities from scarring on the heart tissue six months later. So that means that this is a long-term thing. 80% still had scarring markers on the cardiac MRI six months later. What does that pretend for so many young people with latent heart damage and the risk of sudden cardiac arrest from that from now until the end of times? In the UK, they reported over... 34,000 excess deaths just in the seven months from May to December of last year. And by the way, it's excluding COVID. So the 34,000 non-COVID excess deaths, that's the equivalent of roughly 170,000 excess deaths in the U.S. in a seven-month period. And remember... That was already after the peak of vaccination. That's like the second half of last year. Most people weren't getting new shots. I mean, seniors were getting maybe boosters, but but um, most people weren't. That was already after the peak in most places. So this thing likely has a long shelf life in terms of its ability to suddenly kill people. And they're rushing out New unnecessary vaccines. And remember, with the RSV shots, nobody's going to know. They're going to say, oh, this is really bad. And they're going to terrify every pregnant mother 
into getting this. And also, they're eventually going to put it, um, you know, on the childhood vaccination schedule, which will trigger mandates in school. This is unbelievable. And by the way, remember, the American College of OBGYNs received over $11 million from government to promote a private product. They were one of 17,000 organizations. There's a list, by the way. They go through all sorts of influencers. Every major group of any influence in the country got paid to do this. It was the most unbelievable campaign ever done. Most comprehensive. So there is no enlightened consent. You see what I'm saying? Even short of a full-bore mandate, if you have the government funding, marketing, distributing, indemnifying, and then paying off every influential, not just medical association, institution, but cultural thing, there's no enlightened consent. And by the way, this is a big, big problem. They've been... See... COVID didn't really catalyze this. It just awoke a lot of us up to what was happening before. They've been doing this off-label forever. Do you know that they've been pushing vaccines on pregnant women? Not just COVID. Everyone thinks, oh, the other ones are, are amazing. Most of the other ones have not been approved. They've not been approved for pregnant women but they do them anyway. Again, something as inflammatory as creating, you know, a buildup of antibodies. Okay, I'm, I'm not spe- speaking out of turn here. No, Nobody would disagree with what I'm saying. They brag about it. Oh, look at all the antibodies it produces. Okay, look at all those antibodies. Well, what do you think that's going to do to your body? You think that's okay? So every pregnant woman now, they terrify to, into getting the all, certainly all the flu shots and DTAP and MMR, and now they're going to do COVID, and even the ones that aren't into COVID, if they get pregnant, they I, I got to do it for the baby, and then now RSV. And then certainly a whole litany of other stuff in the pipeline. This is literally a forced abortion, and we have the data on this now from the European Medicines Agency. And again, where you see such a safety signal for preterm birth, you better know you're going to have spontaneous abortion as well. It's just unreal. It is unreal what is happening here. Yeah, I don't know what to say. But nobody cares. Nobody cares. But anyway, I was speaking to Dr. Meryl Nass, who, I mean, she has been just ahead of the curve for years on this. She has been amazing. Um, She was the expert that really saw the problems with the anthrax vaccine and how a lot of the Gulf War syndrome was being conflated with that. Did you know that the 21st Century Cures Act, it passed December 2016, um, this was at the end of Obama's term, and it included a provision that any vaccine recommended by CDC for pregnant women 
would also be given a liability waiver under the the national whatever child vaccination. So that set off a gold rush of vaccines for pregnant women. Because I, I, I remember I had, you know, my oldest son turned 13. So it was 2010. I guess the pregnancy was during 2009. And then I remember as time went on, they became more obsessive about vaccinating pregnant women. So remember, it's not just the fact that the minute the baby is born, we make them into a pincushion. They're already getting it from the placenta, and, and we well know from COVID shots, they absolutely do spread there. It's designed to do that. They want to do that. What are you starting a baby off with? And you wonder why autism grows by like 99% in a few decades? Peanut allergies, autoimmune, colitis, Crohn's, all this stuff. This is unbelievable. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that an uncontrolled spike of a diverse amount of antibodies everywhere every time is going to do that. Oh, people have all these autoantibody problems. Well, where the hell do you think the autoantibodies came from? But anyway, this is what they did. This is a big issue. Most of these things haven't been tested in pregnant women. But they'll prove them anyway. So they added on to the 86 Act. This is very important. This is an action item. That Cures Act of 2016 needs to be repealed. Pregnant women absolving it from liability. So they're like, oh, of course. Understand, you typically want a greater regulatory barrier to putting out something for pregnant women. Here they're like, no, specifically for pregnant women, you're absolved of liability. Well, that set off a gold rush, and that's why you're seeing just a torrent of these things. So anyway, Dr. Meryl Nass writes on her Substack. It's called Meryl's COVID Newsletter. If you want to subscribe, make sure you do. Very good stuff. She made a chart. In 2012, of all the things for pregnant women, some of the ingredients, and she found that um, it's just shocking the dosage that you're seeing. The dosage. There were four licensed DPT vaccines in the U.S., DPT is diphtheria, um, pertussis, and tetanus. There's two for little kids and two for everyone else. And she says if you compare the amounts of, amount of toxoids given to babies versus adults, babies get twice the tetanus toxoid as an adult that might weigh 10 to 20 times more from the GSK vaccines for diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus. Babies get 10 times the diphtheria toxoid dose as adults in the GSK shots. Babies get three times the pertussis toxoid. Sanofi shots gives babies two times the tetanus toxoid and 7.5 times the diphtheria toxoid and four times the pertussis toxoid as adults. You ever think about that? How is it okay to give the same dose to an adult and a baby? And then remember, whatever you're giving to a pregnant woman, you have to assume is going to go over to the baby. Would adults tolerate the large doses we give to babies? 
That's really weird. And also, she notes that the DTP vaccines recommended by CDC during every single pregnancy were never approved by the FDA for pregnancy. So the CDC recommends them. Every OBGYN terrorizes their um, patients into getting it. The FDA actually never approved them. Did you know that? It's off-label. It's totally off-label. And yet, many OBGs will practically kick you out of the practice if you don't get it. This is unreal. Again, we need to have a, a funding fight on the HHS and FDA approps bills. They're two different appropriation bills for this year. We need to have this fight on the PAWPA, Pandemic and Hazard Preparedness Act reauthorization. We need the states to create their own committees to start auditing these shots, and beginning with at least the new ones, like RSV. And we need to go after this liability. And I'll be looking for presidential candidates to be talking about this. But the problem is, we already have one presidential candidate that we know exactly where he stands. And I want to play for you here. This is an ad by Trump. I don't know the exact date, but it was before the election. So let's assume maybe October 2020, where he plays clips from Fauci praising Trump. Take a listen right here. The president has listened to what I have said and what the other people on the task force have said the first and only time that i went in and said we should do mitigation strongly the response was yes we'll do it but when he suggests why don't we do this and i say no that's really not a good idea from a scientific standpoint he has never overruled me the travel was another recommendation when we went in and said we probably should be doing that and the answer was yes when i've made recommendations he's taken them and then another time was we should do it with europe and the answer was yes. He's never counted or overridden me. And the next time we should do it with the UK. And the answer was yes. I never, in the multiple times that I've done that, where I said, for scientific reasons, we really should do this, that he hasn't said, let's do it. The first and only time that Dr. Burks and I went in and formally made a recommendation to the president to actually have a, quote, shutdown. The president listened to the recommendation and went to the mitigation. So, folks, you hear that? How they say that Fauci was saying Trump never overruled him, even when he kind of pushed things and I told him, nah, it's not a good idea, he listened. Now, this is not just us pulling audio from Fauci. This is a Trump campaign ad. I didn't remember it at the time. Trump campaigned on it. And this is not in the first 15 days, the first month or two when people were confused. I'm not, I don't even blame him for that so much. He did this in October. And by the way, it gets even worse. In January 16th, 2021, four days before he left his, his office, Trump went on to, or at least his White House, I mean, they were about to lynch the guy. They were, I remember, they were going to like physically remove him from the office. And his task force spent the final 72 hours of his administration pressuring Florida and yelling at DeSantis for not locking down in their COVID numbers. 
It's unreal. This man will never be a force for us on that issue. But then again, to transition to some presidential news, will he be a force for us on anything? Trump criticized the Florida heartbeat bill today. I mean, for years, all Republicans cared about was abortion. So now you have your Messiah criticizes it. And remember, this isn't just saying, I don't want to do this at a federal level. He is criticizing DeSantis for doing it in Florida, a red state. And remember, this is not a full ban. This is heartbeat. Six weeks, and even after six weeks, has all the exceptions. You know, like rape and, and whatever else. It's pretty pretty broad. And he bashes it. How is that not a red flag? How is it that none of my colleagues will call him out on that? Again, I get it on, on medical freedom, the vaccines. You know, there's issues they don't care about. But this was always the universal Republican issue. Anyone else would have said that he would have gotten crushed by conservative media. Dead silence. Then you have, then you have the other thing, the other news, which is Daniel Penny. As you all know, he is the Marine, the hero that apprehended that guy and he wound up dying. Everyone's wondering, where are the men? Where are the men? People just take out their phone, take pictures while these punks beat people up on a subway. So finally, someone did something. He threatened everyone, and only one man stood up. A pure Marine. And now he's being charged with second-degree manslaughter. By Alvin Bragg, of all people. This is really important, folks. No one else today will make this point. You see, we were told for two weeks, Trump, 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 Alvin Bragg, this is not just about him, this is about everyone. If they could go after Trump, they could go after everyone. And we're like, you're right. In fact, your point is so well taken that they've already gone after everyone and you've done nothing about it. And we said, after DeSantis said he will block extradition in Florida, that would have been a perfect time for Trump to refuse to go. After all, they demanded DeSantis deal with extradition for him. So the point was, presumably, so Trump could be safe in Florida. But no, he wanted to raise money and get that photo op so he went. And at the time I said, I said, nobody, I, I agree with that point. That I agree it was an important story. I agree it's not just about Trump. It was exactly for people like Daniel Penny. And people like Daniel Perry in Austin or um, San Antonio with the Soros prosecutor there. That basically, if you are a white person, you cannot defend yourself against a black perpetrator in a blue city. That's where we, that's where we are at in America. You will be prosecuted, the, the judge will be biased, and the jury will be biased. That's where we're at in America. Very important. Obviously, Daniel Penny is screwed. He has no ability to stand up. Trump had Secret Service, and he had the governor against a freaking borough prosecutor. This is the same prosecutor that went after Trump. Alvin Bragg was the worst thing in the world. Remember those two weeks of conservative talk radio and cable news. Over the weekend, DeSantis fundraises for Daniel Penny. He's now over $2 million, so he'll have a robust legal defense. 
He called him a good Samaritan, and he categorically took his side. Then Trump is asked about it. Now, again, you would think, if no other reason, if he doesn't care about issues other than himself, but this is Alvin Bragg. It's not like another guy. This is this, is this perfect time to dump on Alvin Bragg. The same man who went after me is going after a hero. So he said, well, I think he was in great danger and the other people in the car were in great danger. Okay, well, he's right. But then his punchline is, I haven't seen the tape. But I think he was in danger. And it sounded like the other people in the car were in danger. And it also looks like this man was arrested over 40 times with lots of problems. So I haven't seen the tapes. I won't make a definitive statement. But it looks to me like the people in the car were in great danger. People conflate Trump's categorical truculence when it comes to himself or just insulting people and it's an end to itself with doing what's right on the issues that matter in the way they matter and at the time they matter. He is nothing but a cuck, pathetic loser when it comes to outcomes. You see it with COVID. You see it with abortion. You see it with self-defense here. You saw it yesterday. I played with Trump in the debt ceiling. He's like, yeah, when I was president, it was different. Meaning when he is on the spot and he has the power to affect something, he's terrified to use the power and stand up to people. Disney, same thing. And my colleagues are allowing this man to move to the left without anything. See, I said to me more than any one person winning the presidential election, what I would love to see is both Trump and DeSantis lead on the issues in real time now. And see, right now, what's the problem? Every day I come out and talk about a bunch of issues. We have no one making the play calls, the policy solutions that we keep calling for. Nobody. Well, a presidential... Now, I don't think presidential politics should control everything, but it's a self-fulfilling reality. It does. That's all people care about, presidential politics. So I figured, let's use it to our benefit, that elevated platform and obsessive media coverage over an exciting primary if they both move to the right we all win because we can't wait until 2025 we need voice uh, a robust voice to make the play calls of what governors should be doing what the house republicans should be doing on the debt ceiling on the border on self-defense on crime now i would love to see them both of them say we need expanded jury pools a federal right And then certainly the red states could do that with their blue cities right now. But instead, Trump is moving to the left, partly because he is to the left, partly because anything DeSantis does that's righteous, he has to say the opposite, just to own him. And my colleagues are dead silent. This is my problem. I don't need them to take sides. Most of the time, I speak speak about issues rather than just tip for tat on presidential politics. You know, I could make jokes about the tornado all day, how Trump, you know, ran away because he didn't have enough people at his rally, so he made up a tornado in Des Moines that wasn't there. You know, I could laugh about that all day, and it's vintage Trump, makes him look small and stupid, but, you know, it's not even the point. We focus on the substance. I don't need them to endorse DeSantis. I don't need them to even not endorse Trump. But at least move him to the right. Just say, hey, Trump, you're off message. That's all I ask. Anyone who carried a fraction of the weight that Trump does in terms of reflecting and representing our side, 
who would say these things, they'd be all over him. But here they're dead silent. This is the whole point of what these losers talked about for two straight weeks. That it's not just about Trump, that it's about these prosecutors that will persecute you for your race, your identity, your religion, and your political views. It flies in the face of what America was founded for. It's one of the most dangerous trends of the Fourth Reich. In that respect, the Alvin Bragg thing was really important. And here we have a, this is like the Super Bowl of political persecution. And the reason is because it's not just any political persecution. It's political persecution in the face of self-defense at a time of ubiquitous crime because of jailbreak. And because both parties, including Trump, supported jailbreak. That's why it's such an important issue. Because particularly in the blue cities, this is going to happen on a regular basis. And this is the man going after him. And he kind of hems and haws a little bit. Saying, when, when, when was Trump ever judicious about the facts and acts all lawyerly and I want to see the fact? When, when is he ever like that? I'll tell you when he's like that. When it comes to substance. I don't understand how this is defensible. When you look at what he's running on, what he's done, his record, and you look carefully at what, and this is a, this is not even when he's in charge. This is just a campaign. I, I'm actually floored. Something like this is right up his alley. I thought he'd go very strong on it. Let me know if you think I'm wrong. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. You understand, my contention is not even Trump is unqualified to be president and represent our values. I believe that. But I don't even demand that others say that. To me, let's focus on the outcomes, the action items. You want to support him, I support him. It shouldn't matter as much. But what's more important is the fact that they they are allowing this man to drag our people to the left because whatever Trump supports then is good and they'll be silent. They're suddenly okay with it. Nikki Haley says something like this, they'd be all over her. That's what concerns me about continuing to allow Trump to be the leader of the Republican Party, the leader of the America First movement, and the presidential nominee and president going forward. It's that he has the ability to get our people to stand down when we need them to be more red-pilled than ever. So we're going to get a little bit more into the border tomorrow and the debt ceiling, a bunch of other stuffs. Let me know if there's more stuff going on that you feel needs to be covered. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. At RM Conservative is the Twitter. My columns are at The Blaze and Conservative Review. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.